Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 3, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two excellent guests join me this week to continue Season 3, so please could you introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. Evening, Phil. Uh, my name's uh, Kevin Mannion. I am currently Academy Performance Manager at Gloucester Rugby. I've uh, been here for the last six years uh, and look after... Uh, the senior academy program on a day-to-day basis and work with the SNCs in the 18s and 16s and pathway players throughout the club. Cheers, Phil. Uh, yeah, my name is Rich Middleton. Um, I work uh, strength and conditioning coach down with Exeter Chiefs. Um, again, primarily in the academy with all of our pathways from um, under 15s, 16s up to our under 18s program um, and then a little bit with our senior academy. Um, so yeah, I've just gone into my fifth season with them now. Yeah. Thanks, Rich. Absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much for uh, for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. And a really nice kind of change to look at, I guess, the kind of uh, physical prep and conditioning and, and you, certainly your experience and your roles, which isn't something we've actually talked about a huge amount. So uh, really interested to see kind of what you're going to discuss and, and where this goes. A uh, quick reminder for those listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content that the guys talk about and recommendations to other high quality content. So uh kev we're going to come to you first what is it you're going to talk to us about so i think uh you've already had this person on uh your roundup uh i'm going to talk about uh the rocky road and the rocky road effect in 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 pathways and uh the piece of uh research i've got is from uh professor dave collins on your mcnamara and neil mccarthy which is uh putting the bumps in the rocky road optimizing pathways to excellence now i think in, in 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 the present climate, this is probably something that's naturally fallen for us. There is a, there is a natural speed bump for lots of players at the minute, and I think it's COVID. Uh, but the underpinnings, things that come out of the uh, the research are, and, and and it's quite interesting, is people that, the, the hypothesis that people that have a smooth trajectory to the top sometimes have a rapid decline when adversity hits. Are our models and are our pathways periodizing challenge? Are they offering elements of uh, adversity challenge and, and 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 not necessarily just offering those uh, as uh, we're going to do this but are we supporting that with coping skills and teaching strategies to actually assist these young players further up the pipeline because ultimately like they can rely on mum and dad as their juniors and, and they'll always have sounding boards but as they move through the professional ranks it's about going it alone and sitting in front of DORs and having the necessary skills to cope with being dropped or end of contracts. And if if they haven't had subtle challenges or periodized challenge through their pathway, we don't know if they can cope. And, and one thing that we talk about and I talk about quite a bit here is we know they're good rugby players. Uh, physically, we know, and, and Rich may probably help and allude to this, we know we can develop them physically. That we We know it'll take time. But in this current climate, we don't know if they can emotionally cope in the senior environment and if, and if psychologically they can cope as well because we're not able to put them in scenarios or, or give them 
opportunities of challenge to see how they react. And, and, and that's probably the biggest thing moving forward is at the top end, it is tough. It's, it's not a simple environment to be in and, and you can't just drop into it. And I think looking at the way that the research is put with this paper, it's there is high, high challenge and high support in lots of different environments, whether it be school, whether it be home, whether it be rugby. But what are we doing to necessarily teach skills or just making sure that we're protecting and, and, and giving people the answers, if you get what I mean? And I, I think a lot of times environments are sometimes set up for people to succeed when actually they shouldn't be set up for people to fail. They should be set up to assist and challenge them to be better in order to cope with what is at the top. I don't I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's loads to kind of dissect, I guess, a little bit in there. I, I made the joke in the WhatsApp and it didn't get a laugh, so I'm going to do it again. But I am really disappointed that we're not talking about, you know, sweet treats. I got really excited and that's I'm glad Rich is laughing now. That's good. Um, no, mate, I, no I, th I think it's a it's a really pertinent point, isn't it? And as you say, for some life will naturally throw a load of speed bumps and some pretty hefty speed bumps in front of people and, and they deal with that and, and come out the other side and it, it can be beneficial massively. It, it can be hugely detrimental and on the other side of things. But in, in terms of, I guess, I, where this maybe gets a little bit difficult is to what degree can you manufacture stuff? Do you know what I mean? And, and how I, that's why I'd be really interested in, in what that would look like in both your environments to how do you create that? Is that about um, deliberately removing somebody from selection? Is that about deliberately, you know, piling on more pressure in or out of sessions in, in a, any number of forms? Or, or is there kind of a more strategic way that you do that over a longer, longer period of time? I think in certain I think in certain aspects, Phil, uh, it, it, some of it happens naturally. So you like we we have lads that get injured, we have lads that get ill, we have lads that don't get the grades or are falling behind at school. And I think the the natural challenge comes in. It's it's how if if we do everything we can to make it right, then we don't necessarily get the biggest impact from the necessary adversity, if you get what I mean. So through injury scenarios, so if a player with an ACL, we know the injury is the adversity, but how do we teach the coping mechanisms or, or the skills to deal with the stages of injury, which we know are like grief, depression, anger, frustration, bang. And how do we keep them on task? And how do we constantly challenge them in and around? Is it by setting uh, scouting tasks to look at opposition players? Is it by uh, getting them to uh, maybe even start college courses whilst they're injured? Is it, is, is it those kind of things that actually, it doesn't, everyone suddenly thinks that the challenge has to be dropping them or piling pressure on. It, it can be a challenge that is delivered to them in another way, which actually creates a different amount of stress or pressure, but not is, but something that actually is additive, not necessarily detracting from what they're doing. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, yeah, I guess for, for young people, we're almost talking about life skills, ex accelerating that process of, the, I mean, the huge positives and why so many academies will, will back it is the guys going to university, isn't it, in terms of that, live away from home, have to do your own washing, your own cooking, learning all those types of things. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's funny, my mind definitely jumped to the 
the challenge or the almost the negative bit negative one of a better word but as you say actually yeah you can flip that and it's just a, a new experience can be as much of a challenge as it can be anything else whether and, and, and still boss i think that's what so but i think just uh, rich can jump in a minute and i think but i think this is where it gets there's been a lot of press branded around about uh adversity poor treatment and uh treating young players wrong because adversity means dropping them and leaving them or or, or something like that it 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 could be uh something that goes on at home that needs high support it could be something that goes on through school where they're falling behind with the work what it doesn't need is mum or dad going in to go and solve the problem they need to assist with the help but the player needs to be taught the skills to develop and make sure the problem is correct and get it right because if you don't if no one's going to be there to protect them all the time at some point they've got to deal with these situations themselves and the more we deal with them for them at the end point they still can't cope and whether that be being dropped in the first team or not making your international call or getting injured that's happening to them they've got to deal with it at that, at that time what are your thoughts rich what does that look like for you guys at exeter yeah, everything Kev said, it's um, very personal, you know. I think something else that is we probably haven't spoken about is the, the self-pressure that players put themselves on. I think coming into a pathway, um, they see the badge, they see the brand, they see, you know, they want to be professional rugby players. And I think that's something I saw early on was actually the amount of self-pressure that players put on themselves under realising, more so from like an under 18 to 16, that sort of two-year window when, they were leaving college. They didn't know what they wanted to do at uni. Um, and exactly like Kev said, you've got, you know, those different elements then that come into play, whether it's their peers, whether, you know, their best mate last year got a contract, um, you know, whether their parents are pushy parents, whether, you know, even in points where you've got players who think they're, you know, the next Johnny Wilkinson, when they're actually probably, you know, third, fourth team. And it's trying to, you know, how you go about, Approaching that subject with them and speaking about you know different options and where they're putting that pressure on themselves and then like Kev says you come back into the the academic side of the pathway where you've got exams and that different pressure from school and college and you know wherever they might be um, you know you, you definitely see see that start to pile on I think from my point of view we've got a lot of players um, who kind of are on B techs and some are on A levels and you can see throughout the year the peaks and troughs of those different players of where that pressure is coming on academically. Um, you know, Kev might see this as well in, in the pathway from when you go through like um, under 18s wise from an ACE programme into an under 18s into that kind of contract element of the year where they think decisions are going to start being made and you can see players, you know, I've seen players start the year off absolutely fine, um, get post Christmas and like Kev says, selection comes in and they maybe don't make a team. Um, and then they start worrying about contracts and it's just, I suppose, dealing with that expectation early doors. And that's something we've definitely tried to deal with um, from when they first come into the academy programme at 16. because we're, we're lucky to be based down with Exeter College, so we've got a lot of contact time with them sort of week in, week out, day to day. And it's trying to manage that expectation early doors and almost remove that pressure for them. Um, so they're coming in knowing that they're going to get a programme, they're going to get, you know, input, like Kev says, to physically develop them. Um, coach them all their analysis everything else and their education but you know not to put that pressure on themselves that the expectation is to get a professional contract at the end of the day because it's it's hard to do um but yeah it's it's such a 
pertinent thing to speak about. And like Kev said, especially now with COVID, you know, you're seeing lads who some boys are eating it up and loving the fact they've got some time to invest in themselves. And you can see others who are panicking because they are at that point of the year where they're worrying about contracts and they're not, they haven't played all year. So they've got nothing to, you know, if, if it doesn't work out down here, whether they've got any footage to, you know, put something together to go somewhere else. And you can see those pressures starting to come in now and we're getting emails, you know, week to week, less so me, more so the coaches, but, um, you know, boys asking those questions. In terms of those coping skills, development skills, all, all that kind of, uh, the role of psych within this, would you guys have psych support in the academies for these guys? Or is this something that the coaching team and, and you guys and other staff would, would kind of pick up and work with them on? Because it, so, to my mind, psych's in everything. And I'm always quite surprised that there's not more specific sports sites in more places just because of how crucial it is. Or do you, would you guys say that? ends up sitting rightly or wrongly with with everybody else that kind of has to do a little bit of psych but still probably has a, a another specialism in some form uh yeah for sure i think from our point of view we've had um psych input from an early well our first sort of interaction post dpp so under 16s um they do they've always done like a session a week sometimes two sessions a week um and that was one of our high priorities coming into covid to keep um a virtual kind of psych session in bi-weekly even um and it's funny you, you know you're saying tagging stuff onto other people's roles and i like a good example would be s and and nutrition um but yeah that's something we've always outsourced um or at the moment we've got a coach who's coming he's got a really good background with, within psychology and he, he's taken that on and um running with it so that's something that we've definitely tried to you know bring in from an early age and try and thread it through all the way to like a senior academy point of view I think for us, Phil, it's been a little bit different. We haven't we haven't had we've had input from various people. So we have input from like Dave Collins and people and 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 some of the stuff, looking at some of the stuff that he's talked about, like everything like Rich has just said, I think we can encompass into if we if we look at academy development as a biopsychosocial approach, biologically we're look we're looking to develop them uh in terms of the lean mass, the power, their strength, mm. and things like that. Psychologically. We're trying to give them the necessary skills and tools to cope with the demands of the game and cope with life. Let, let's be perfectly honest. This isn't just about playing rugby players. We're giving them life skills as well because, like, they're going to go through stages where they're going to want a mortgage. They're going to want. They're going to lose family members. That they're going to have girlfriends and partners. They're going to have kids. And 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 some of these coping strategies are going to be there. I think the other bit as well is that that social development of being in around and interacting with peers, speaking as an 18-year-old, sitting in a team meeting with the first team and bits like that. And at, at times, and I think Dave Collins says it quite well, there's the teach, test, tweak, repeat. So teach the skill, test it in an environment, tweak it, and then repeat the process again. And uh, how you do that is subject to your context, isn't it? And I think, I know, you, I know you've spoke with Dave, but, and, and, and that is a real big thing thing it's like you can't just go to someone i'm going to drop you if you haven't primed them you can't just go to someone with the necessary skills you can't just put someone in a period of adversity if you haven't primed them necessarily with some of the taught them some of the necessary coping things that they're going to have to use the test then comes up how do they respond you tweak the things you've taught them and then you go back in and it further down the line you repeat the process to see if it's had any effect or it's changed and and it becomes a learning tool and, and Rich, it's the same as what we do in the gym. We we set a program, 
we teach them how to do it. The end of the four or six weeks, there's a, there's a, have they improved? Is their strength increased? Da, 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 da. Eighth of them have, six of them haven't. Okay, so we'll tweak it for the sixth of them that haven't, and then we'll repeat the process again in a period of time. And, and it fits across a lot of different parameters. And I think without oversimplifying it, a lot of coaches are psychs, but it's not, it's when it gets to the point where you start meddling with things that you don't understand that you need to have proper people and, and, and professionals working with the lads. I 100% agree on that. And it, it's, it, I remember Clive Woodward got in some hot water for being pretty blase about, you know, coaches being psychs. And you kind of go, as you say, it, yes, to a certain extent, because you're dealing with people. So I think anyone that deals with people needs to understand people that if you're going to do a good job, that would be pretty important, wouldn't it? But it, yeah, as, you, as soon as you start getting into unpicking things, you're not, you don't understand yourself in enough detail or you're not qualified to do, I think you, you're going to be, yeah, not in a great position. But interestingly, do you think the academy pathway, and, and I've, I've definitely talked on the, the podcast before about I'm, I'm not a big fan of the term pathway. I wonder whether it creates as many problems as it, answers by by suddenly describing something as a pathway everyone thinks they're going to go all the way down it and actually does that create that expectation that almost you've got to unpick and and unsell um does there does that prove to be challenging for you guys with players coming in going well i'm part of a pathway now as you say they've got the kit they're, they're part of an academy or they're part of something and there is but you're, you're always going to daydream. You're always going to have dreams and, and you want to be a professional rugby player. I get that. But do we need to do a better job of selling? It's an opportunity. It's an experience. That's it. Don't look at anything beyond that. If you get another opportunity, use that opportunity and maximise it. Great. But it's almost a stepping stone as an opportunity rather than this predetermined pathway. I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts. Oh, yeah. From, from my point of view, um yeah it's, it, that's definitely been a challenge for us I think purely from the fact that the, the pathway if you like from the last few years has been quite successful um, I think from now the last couple of years players coming into that pathway there is that expectation is probably the wrong word but they do see it as stepping stones to the end goal um, and that's certainly something we've tried to as a coaching group the last few years try and give them different options and give them examples of players who actually have got to that end goal, but they might have gone down a different route than the ex Chiefs pathway. Um, but like you say, was, I, I laughed when he said about getting the kit, and you know they almost, you know, that's been that's a big thing as well. Um, and you know, lad, we, you know, we've all been there and all worked with people. People do hang on to a brand and they want to be part of it, which is understandable. But um, that's definitely, I think, it's start. We're starting to undo it now because you've got a, a bit of a wider pathway, if you want to call it that. Um, and there's different avenues to reach that end goal if obviously you know everything works out and, and people are good enough but um that was definitely the case people would come in they'd see each stepping stone as literally like exactly that stepping stone to that big contract and, and that professional rugby player um so yeah that's that's definitely the way we're trying to push them into different avenues and again going full circle to what kev's saying is you know hopefully from our point of view that takes that expectation and that self-pressure off them a little bit to realize you know, you know, we've all worked with, with players, you know, for long enough now to know people develop at different rates from, you know, coaching wise, from an SNC point of view, a psych point of view. And actually some players aren't ready at 18. They're not quite at that level. But if they go through, say, university programme and three years later, they might be a completely different player. Um, on the flip side, some players, you know, we've all seen them who at 18, 
look like they're about 30 and been running through people since they were 15 years old. Um, you know, so players need to understand that, you know, it's not one size fits all. And, um, you know, there are different avenues. And I think, I think you're completely right, Phil, trying to get away from that generic pathway would then, like Kev's saying, pro- I think potentially take a bit of that psychological stress and pressure off, off players to know that actually they've got other options. Like, like Richard just said, like we've been really fortunate this year that Stephen Varney and Lou Reece Samet have made their international debuts at 19. They are, say, one, they are, they are good players, so, but they've also got natural assets that suit the positions they play. So Louis is rapid. So as an outside winger, he's physically able to cope. But actually, he's got the, he's got the necessarily the, the, the qualities that they look for. Stephen, with Italy, his pass is so dynamic. And, and the way he played in that back end of the premiership, he earned the right. But you wouldn't stick a prop up there at 19. And, and, and Richard see the develop, development of Marcus Street and people like that. It takes longer for certain positions due to the nature of the demands of the game. It doesn't mean they won't play, but it means they'll be drip-fed in at various points. They'll play at various levels in order to get that robustness and that and that overall development to play in the games further down the line. You, you try and hold some players back to elongate their careers. But in certain positions, maybe the outside positions, they can go in a bit early because they're actually able to cope. But not everyone can do it, and I think that I think there's probably there's probably a couple of things we can probably consider with this as well. Is that your pathway pathway as a term is contextual to your club? So whatever Chiefs do, having extra unit on hand and, and and to be able to drop them in very closely is 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 really good for them. If you're at Leicester and you're two and a half hours away in Norfolk and they're your DPP players at 18, then it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's, it's the ability to generate pathways that suit your context. And I think the other side of it as well is, is we all imagine, like young players imagine pathways to be linear. They're not. So if you can imagine, I mean, so again, Dave Collins and Andrew Cruikshank. Andrew Cruikshank works with British Judo. Uh, and he's done a lot of work on what look, pathways look like. So if you can imagine an inverted funnel, okay, and then through the middle, you have a tube that goes, and that is the optimum, isn't it? Anyone that excels and accelerates goes straight up the middle. But actually, the terms that they use is everybody pings and pongs from various sides. They bounce, they sit outside the optimum, and the, they bounce left and right, and they might exit and come back in. But the ones that go through the middle are the, probably the quickest ones to fall because they've had such a fast rise. The ones that bounce from left to right have to go on loan at National 2 to play for 30 games, uh, 20 games in year three of their academy contracts, then have to go to championship and then have to go this. But they're constantly developing. And it's, and it's that, that ability to bounce and learn, bounce and learn, not necessarily take a backward step, but set laterally and still progress that, that pathways, I think, should be considered. I don't think we should have pictures of pathways, which is lovely PowerPoint presentations where you have a block that moves upward to another block in a diagonal line and upward to another block. I think if we if we look at it like as, as we've seen it, if you had an inverted funnel, you have a, a, a middle column, which is the optimum. Everybody would sit either side of it. They might get into the middle at various points, 
but they'll bounce out and again because something will happen. And I think that could be the best way to consider it. I like that. It's, I, I it's pretty hard doing that on the podcast because you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're um, and, and what I think is really interesting, you know, you made the point about uh, Reece Summit and those kind of guys, they'll get a lot of press because they go through so quickly. So that kind of reinforces that this is this is the way it happens. And then I think at the other extreme, you'll, you'll get someone... Um, anyone that knows me will laugh at this and I think genuinely it's the first time I've mentioned his name in 36 weeks is someone like Rory McConaughey that Rich and I were at uni with who who literally did nothing and went to the sevens from uni um, and then has gone through and, and got a senior cap and everything else and that picks up a lot of attention because it's so far outside the norm but actually how often do you hear about as you say the guys that do 20 or 30 league games in a couple of seasons on loan and then Nat one and then championship and then something else and something else and I think they're the guys we probably want to make no, more noise around just just to show this this is probably more normal than any of the other extremes and I, th- I think that's just difficult because you know we're not the PR team or we're not you know we're not anything but I think the game as a whole probably needs to spend maybe more time looking at those types of journeys and saying actually this is this is probably going to be more common but I, I, how yeah as you say is an easy narrative to sell because nice pathway diagrams look great on social media and they look great on presentations and they're easy to explain aren't they and I, I don't know how to change that I, I'm yeah I'm not sure but as you say maybe it's just case studies that show there's other options and it isn't it isn't fluid well I guess it is fluid it's not it's not rigid in in how it happens but yeah well I think another one Phil just another one on that is so like I spent eight I spent seven years at Leicester working in their academy. And uh, so Christoph Ridley, who is a premiership referee, dislocated his shoulder twice in the academy, stopped playing. At the point he did his second one, went and had, he started a coaching referees course. And he's now, so that would be, I think he's 24 now. So he's now premiership referee. He's on the international board as a touch judge. I know it's a different pathway, but actually from what happened within his academy experience, he's now officiating in World Cup matches and stuff like that, Six Nations games. So the, like Rich said, there's there's outlets for lots of different things. And, and sometimes it's not just playing. Uh, another Gloucester uni boy. Gloucester's getting a big shout out tonight, which is great. So um, definitely he's got the best biceps in rugby, by the way. I don't know if you set him up for that, Kev, in the early days of academy rugby. Or whether he's picked that up since, and that's a referee thing. But he, he I think I think he I think he's concentrated on his her recently. <laughs> um, interested in how sort of kind of carrying on that pathway discussion a little bit, and and I'm not inviting you guys to talk out of turn or anything here. So you know, tell me to shut up if you want. But how how would you if you guys were in charge of the players in terms of what they could go on to next steps? Are you pretty comfortable with? The, the National League system for loans and championship and how the academy progresses and the A-League, the, the Prem Cup, like how would you change um, what is between where you are and where the players end up in terms of the, you know, senior senior Prem to, to improve them, improve their journey, make it more applicable, kind of, is it something you guys talk around? What would kind of be Nirvana for you from a development perspective? What would you like to see that maybe some of those guys don't get at the moment? Or are you pretty happy? Um, I think um, 
just trying to think about. I think from my point of view, I think I'm quite happy. I think we're very lucky that we're quite inclusive. Um, and I think like we touched on, not that it's a positive or negative, but what our strength is, is part of our weakness on that mental side that people see people getting these opportunities to, you know, drop into a senior training session when numbers are short or to drop into an A-league or get an opportunity or, you know, under 18 lads when they're, if they're ready, going to a national league um, team to, to get some men's rugby for experience. Like Kev was saying, you know, the pathway is different for everybody. And, you know, we're very lucky that we can tap into those different avenues. Um, and that's also, you know, why I like Max um, Parthia, what you say, Phil, about, you know, it was so far away from the norm. Actually, it was, it's a great advocate for actually what can happen and to take that mental stress off people to realise, you know, it, it isn't just that linear process that we've spoken about. Um, but yeah, I, th I think, I think like, you know, I can't speak for, for Kev and other Prem clubs, but I think, you know, we're very lucky that we're quite inclusive and we are on the doorstep for the senior boys and from a coaching team, we're very lucky that we get to sort of outside of COVID times, drop in and out and, you know, spend, you know, time in that environment and get hands on with players and even you know what's nice for me in that regard is players you've worked with for the last say four or five years ago you can see them in that environment now and you can still sort of get hands on and chat to them um but yeah I think the opportunities are there and I think like I say I wouldn't necessarily change it I think it's definitely our biggest strength but from a mental side probably potentially a weakness in the fact that people you know the expectation is that those opportunities will come to everybody if that makes sense do you guys benefit from the fact that no one leaves Devon either? Like once yeah, oh, mate. Once you're there, that's it. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Especially Cornwall. Those guys want to, uh, they think they're a different country, let alone uh, leaving Cornwall. <laughs> oh, I love it. Kev, what about you? Uh, I think, I think personally, coming from a rugby league background, I think reserve grade is amazing. I said, I, I look what goes on in the NRL and they have an under-21s competition, Holden Cup. And I look at the players, the, the, the debut age in the NRL is 24 plus. I just see the fact that they sort of such a quality second string competition. I think again, it's down to budgets and stuff like that, and, and they are they're completely out of our control. But to run a run a reserve team program properly would be amazing. Some of some of the young lads have never played for rugby clubs, so getting them out on loan is great. And and it's not. And again, we go back to biopsychosocial, the social experience of playing for Cinderford, uh, playing for Hartbury, playing for Clifton, playing for Red Ruth, and and, and being on a bus trip with those lads it, and you laugh but it's very very part of the process isn't it it's about understanding the rugby club and that's part of the development and growing up and, and, and I'm not saying it, it's all about the bus trips but actually that's where the lads come out of their shells that's where the lads learn some of the skip talking and, and get, interacting with different people they can't just sit on their own at the front because they'll get barracked and talked at and, and, and things like but for me I'd love, I'd love to see a reserve grade program. I'd love, I'd, I, and but that's just me because one thing I, I, within our role in the academy, I don't know if Rich is the same, and and, and he's he is in recent years a, a really successful place, and and they've done a really good job, and and, and fair dues to everyone that's working there. But I, I would hasten to say, and I don't know if he'll agree or disagree, but every time one of the young players that he's worked with makes their senior debut that's as good as any other experience that he's probably had in the last three, five years. And, and, and they have won European Cups and, and Premiership, and, and it'd be difficult to compare to, but knowing that you've been part of that process and, and they've made the, they're making their senior debut, or like it's not to hang your hat on it, but it's to say you've done a good job there. And, and 
take a minute and have a bit of personal pride because that seemed to that's causing families, peers, his mates, you lip shut, but like it's it's uh, it's a it's a good it's a good experience. But aside from that, it's a bit of a, a bit of waffle and a bit of sidetrack. But uh, yeah, like we need lads playing rugby. We need lads playing a level a rugby. And, and this is the thing I believe, and, and we've, I've spoke with and, and Neil McCarthy always taught me this. Who was the academy manager and was at Leicester is lads need to play the appropriate level at the appropriate time. They like uh, and, and and this is a contentious one, but I'm going to say it. So if you have a lad at school that's in the fifth year that's playing upper six rugby but plays the same standard for three years, how are they developing? And I know you can't take them out into adult rugby because they're still classed as juniors. But how do you progress that? If if all of a sudden the academy, if we operated some under-19 games or if we were able to play some under-21 fixtures or reserve team was under-24 and, and stuff like that, under-21, would there be outlets to give these guys, can they cope in a different training environment they might be the best at school, but can they cope with the next step? Like Rich says about lads training up or training down. It's those experiences that you miss. And, and, and they're the ones that are the most telling because they tell you the most about the person. And that's under, underpinning everything. We're dealing with people. They're not robots. We're dealing with people. And, and, and at the bottom of it is we have to know how that person ticks. And if we don't and we get it wrong, it can go horribly wrong because we, we don't know how to manage them. I think that's a great point. It just sparked a thought around how how everything is the same. It's not the same. Appreciate that you know geography changes and, and a number of things, but in terms of the the pathway or the structure, it is pretty much the same for everybody around the levels of competition. And actually, whether a level of flexibility. So if if you guys wanted to play Exeter at under twenties, actually, if you could make that happen, just as a, a one off, or you could play a series of three or whatever, I wonder whether the 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 pathway, you know, inverted commas maybe needs more flexibility to offer out more of those opportunities more regularly that best suit, as you say, the players in the position they're in at the moment. And the, the fact it has to be uniform, I understand, but I, I wonder whether we'll ever get to a stage where maybe there's some, you know, uniform bits and the, obviously ACE and under 18 Academy League are a, a good example of that, but actually a bit more flexibility around some of the other stuff. And and that might be my ignorance. There might be that now and just no one chooses to use it. I don't know. But that, yeah, that's a really interesting place to, to think on. Phil, I was really lucky. So when I, when, when I was at Leicester, we, we, we ran the programme because the under 18s league didn't exist in the first part. So we'd have three tiers of fixtures. So we'd play... National one club, so we played Nottingham, Bedford, teams around that, and, and we'd play maybe play younger players up at under 19 because we'd have 17, 18, 19, same age group, but with some older lads, so they got experience. We play premiership fixtures against Leeds, Northampton, uh, Saracens, people like that. And and we did go down to Exeter, play them at under, I think we played them under 19s. Oh, sorry, four tiers. We'd play European fixtures, so we'd play Ulster, Clermont in the summer. We travelled to Leinster with another 19th team. We'd uh, we played Munster in Ireland, and, and and those experiences are completely different. You go to Clermont and play Clermont. We turned up at Breve one day, and they had two 20-year-olds to play against our under-18s in older in the front row. They had a number six that was coming back from injury that was the first team captain, and we got hoodwinked as we turned up. And it was like you do realise there's 18s, they can't play, and they, we had to stop different elements playing it. And then the last thing we did, we played international fixtures. So as an academy team at under-19s, we played Wales, we played England, we played Scotland, 
uh, we played Japan. We played all these different things at various levels, pitch, pitch the lads against uh, different opposition. So when you, you wouldn't go, we're going to play this, 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 and this, four hard games, you'd strategically periodize to build up to an international fixture. So you, we played, in my first three months, we played Wales at Welford Road and beat Wales. Later on, we played Scotland at Welford Road and beat Scotland. Like it's, But that was where the lads were at. Yeah, you brought up some painful memories there. I, I used to coach the England colleges side and, and we play you guys every year and you put out a, a heck of a side and I'm not sure we ever actually scored more than probably one try against you. But for even, you know, someone like Tom Bowen came through that colleges programme, was involved yeah. in those games, went to Holland with Tigers, came back and signed with the academy and, you know, good things happened from there. And you, yeah, I, I just... It, it would be nice. I think those those kind of days, as you say, maybe maybe a return at some stage. I, I'm not sure, but it, yeah, it definitely shows the value of, of that flexibility. I think for sure. Oh uh, yeah, no, I think it's um, just like you're saying that rigid, that rigidity of the program. I think having something as an under, like Kev saying, like an under 20, 21 sort of level. There's there's a lot of players we've probably all seen it at that level who could do with more more game time at that level as well. Um, and just sort of jumping back a couple of minutes to what Kev was saying about the bus trips and people stepping up, actually, that is a massive element of seeing how people and individual athletes and players do step up with that extra pressure, whether it's even, you know, into the senior training session on a Tuesday or Wednesday, or whether it is going down to a National League side when they're still under 18. Or, you know, like you say, sometimes the step is, if it is in that linear pathway, is literally straight into a professional environment. And I think there's a lot in between there that you can learn quite a bit about about those players and how they deal with it. And from a coaching point of view, get a lot more out of them. Um, yeah, I think I think you're completely right. I think there's definitely a lot of players in in between that little area throughout the country who who could could benefit from from some more sort of structured games. Superb, mate. Um, I'm I'm going to ask you one both one question, and I'm going to go with a one sentence answer. Just so I'm conscious of your time, and and we need to to jump onto Rich's stuff. But if you could see more from players coming into a DPP or academy when you, you start to get them, what, what would you like to see more of? What would you like them to be better at? How, how could the, the, the rest of the game that are kind of developing these players before they get to you, what could they do better to help those players along the way? It's um, a good, very good question. Um, from an SNC point of view, I suppose, just, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because, like you say, tagging rolls onto different people. But I'd say general, like, body awareness and movement quality, I suppose, of just general things like like gait and, you know, movement on the floor and things like that. Um, if we're staying on the psychological pathway, I'd probably say just to, like, just enjoy it. You've got the, you see those players at young age who genuinely just play for the general love of enjoying it. And you can see them play in a completely different way than players who have come into it going, I want to be an international rugby player um it's a bit longer than a one sentence answer but <laughs> let you off mate good answer Kev what are your thoughts what would you like to see more of I was in a presentation on Tuesday night with a guy that's been to two Olympic games and his strap line was what can I be best at not what I'm good at now so what can I excel at how can how can we make them better so they're in because they've got either physical capabilities they're technically astute or they're tactically astute how can we make them better? Not just be settled with, I'm good at that and have a mindset that I am going to get stretched and get and improve on other areas as well. Nice. I like that. 
good good one sentence answer love it right we will <laughs> we'll shift on uh rich what is it that you're going to be discussing yeah so um it's basically talking around coaching queuing coaching language and just general communication um is a podcast i listen to with nick winkleman in so nick's if anyone doesn't know nick he's a um he specializes in queuing and coaching language works in the irish rugby setup um just the key takeaway points really from uh from the podcast was he was talking around um utilizing the youthful youthful mind um which is probably quite easy for us in sort of you know academy levels and younger younger players and populations but really leaning on sort of that um playful imagination and um you know building a, a comparison and an outcome within what you're coaching to build like that visual image to try and almost ingrain what you're saying into some sort of picture that derives that outcome that you want um, and then within that communication, talking around, you know, the context, who you're talking to, what you're saying and, and how you're trying to deliver that. Um, and for me, straight away, I just thought about different personality traits and actually how you need to adapt what you're saying and how you're coaching and how you're communicating to those different personality traits. I know we've probably all seen the um, personality traits, your green, your red, your yellow and, and your blue. Um, and, you know, like we've said before, it's not a one, one size fits all kind of model. Um, and then he just went on to talk about how you how you get that out of players. And the two things he spoke about was um, constraints or like dialogue communication, so skill based. So constraint from from our point of view, from an SNC standpoint, might be um, a speed drill. If you want somebody to run fast at like max velocity, you probably um, give less stimulus in the middle. You might make the pitch longer, and so that their outcome is more max velocity if you wanted somebody to run you know more change direction and more external stimulus maybe more agility based for lack of a better word you might widen the the uh the space make it shorter and put more stimulus in the middle um so you're not actually communicating too much but your constraint and your drill is is your outcome which we probably all do that anyway but it's just thinking about what we're doing i suppose um versus obviously the dialogue communication so actually focusing on a skill so again rather than getting someone to run in a straight line at max velocity and giving them a load of cues of, you know, stay at a 45 angle of acceleration and knee drive, et cetera, et cetera, and triple extension. We're trying to, you know, just two different ways of going around that communication for our outcome. Um, and then that tied nicely onto internal and external queuing, which again, you know, we'll, we'll all do. And Phil, you'll probably cut me down here for this example, not being a rugby coach, but like an external cue might be defensively telling a player to watch something. So, watch their hips or you know something like that compared to telling them to right don't plant on your heels stay square you know giving them something to feel about internally because obviously the outcome from those two different cues would be slightly different um and again circling back to those personality traits just knowing who would benefit from each one and again that would come into i suppose development level and, and training age um and then just quickly, he he mentioned a TED talk um, by a guy called Julian Treasure, who, again, is big on communication. Um, and it's a little bit sort of reverse engineering from a coaching point of view, but I listened to it and it's just some good little things in there. So um, he was talking about listening in this TED talk. It's about 20 minutes long, so not too long. But he um, he was saying that through communication, 60% of the time we communicate, we're actually spend, spending listening. But actually only 25% of the information you listen to is retained which I thought actually from a coaching point of view, you know, we can all probably, um, you know, resonate with it is, I think I'm definitely talking 60% of the time when we're coaching, but actually the players aren't taking, they're only taking the course of that information. So I just thought, how can we be more efficient around that 
Um, he then went on to speak about like, how people make meaning of sound and how they interpret that sound. So again, full circle back to Nick is, is the, the context. And he spoke about things like the culture, the environment, um, language, attitudes and beliefs. And again, we could probably all resonate. If somebody speaks to you and your attitudes or beliefs are slightly different, you know, there might be a, a thought blocker or maybe you switch off or you have a, a, a cognitive sort of reaction of trying to argue, be argumentative. Um, so it's little things like that. And then the, the, the next thing that sat with me there was the language barrier. I suppose we've all worked with international players or players overseas or even in the UK from north to south, east to west, everyone's got, you know, different humour, different slang analogies and it's how people interpret what you're saying compared to what they're used to in their upbringing I suppose um, and then lastly he, he just spoke about um, he calls it the cross-model effect so he took a sensory input a visual input and a, and a hearing input and um, it's about six minutes on the video um, the example and it's basically somebody lip reading um, or miming a, a, a sound which you have immediately put a sound to um, he then brings the audio in and the two sounds are completely different. Um, but then he breaks it down and explains why that's happening. And then he takes the sound out, keeps the visual and then drops it back in and out. And um, even though he's explained to you what's happening, the two sounds are still completely different. And actually, I thought from a coaching point of view, it's just a, a, a good example of actually how people are interpreting what we're saying. And again, trying to maximise that or if anything, try and improve that 25 percent of retained information. Um, and then just a little quote that Nick said in, in that um, his podcast, which I thought was, was quite pertinent, was he said, um, you remember how a coach coached you more than what they coached you? And I thought that just sort of all encompassed what he was saying, as in you can create that visual entity and that imagination and try and, and, and make something almost mentally rehearsed, how much more ingrained it becomes and the outcome's normally somewhere near where we might want it to be. Um, so yeah, that they were the main key points and just food for thought, really. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I think there's tons in there. And there's some moments where, I, yeah, you kind of go, the coaching's complicated. And then you start getting into even just layers of detail around something. I mean, you literally spend your life doing, talking, listening. And you go, I must have this sussed. And then you listen to something like that and you go, oh, shit, no, 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 not even close. So that, that, I love it. I'm going to kind of just pick up on one of the points you talked about at the beginning around the young mind um what are your thoughts around avoiding coaches coaching young people as effectively mini adults because i think we see that probably more than we'd like and we, we've probably all encountered that in some form or another and i guess it's it's it can be quite an easy trap to fall into so from from your experience how within the academy and other roles how would you go about kind of making sure that you 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 meet them where they're at in terms of the their mental development, their personality development, their physical development, and, and you're not kind of just going, this is this is an adult already, I'm just going to sculpt them the way I want them. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a good, it's a very good point, and something we've probably all seen happen quite a lot, really. Um, I think a good example of that, from from going back to the, the constraints versus communication standpoint, is um, those animal flows that Kevin and I touched on at the start um, in, in James uh, Baker's child's champion everything was derived around like a movement so it was like crawl like a lion jump like a frog well actually straight away then you're not giving too much input but from that youthful mind you can visualize what that looks like 
and the outcome is pretty close to what you want from an athletic point of view. But again, you know, they had a really big continuum of, you know, close to hundreds of exercises and movements that were all derived for like younger, younger populations. So things like superheroes and things like that, which I thought was great because actually you're not trying to, like you say, speak to them like an adult or coach them like, you know, someone whose training age is, you know, five plus. You're, you're trying to get on their wavelength and the outcome ultimately is then what you want, I think. Um, you know, and then from a pathway point of view, like you say, I think if you, you get players in from a DPP level, you, you don't want to be coaching them from a coaching or, or an SSC point of view, the same as you you want to be at a senior academy and, and senior level. Um, again, for, for very obvious reasons, but I think that's probably something just almost keeping it simple, stupid, understanding the environment you're in and, and you know, trying to get on their wavelength is probably the biggest thing I'd say. Nice, I like that. Kev, any thoughts around that? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point because as a 42-year-old academy coach, like the millennials are now different breeds, they're different characters. And it's as much as it's about understanding the players, it's also about understanding how you are in relation to how you're interacting with them because it's changing. It's We're in a data age. We're living in Zoom meetings. We're how how we convey our messages that there's an Instagram and Snapchat generation. So they are very media savvy. So part of me being an older SNC coach, and I'm not shy to admit at my age working academy, it's, it's rough. I'm having to adapt my practices to cope with the 18s. My saving grace is that I have a 14 year old son. So I know my relationship at home is, is, is I, I'm able to go from coach to parent, but actually, Part of that is understanding how to interact with the 16-year-olds. It's how to interact with the 18-year-olds. Uh, I think we get caught, and I don't know if Rich will agree or not, is we end up over-coaching our 18s because we're trying to get that point across. And that I think that was what he was trying to say, is we over-coach, we over-analyse. When actually, if we minimise our coaching in terms of our cueing, like he said, we'd actually be really, really, really accurate coach feel and flow as well as technical aspects once they understand how it feels and it feels right it helps them to understand how to move in a certain way not everything is robotic remember these kids are not robots they've got if if uh, and my son's teacher said this if at 14 15 and 16 probably older i could give you a pill that makes you angry frustrated depressed upset emotional happy would you take it None of us would, but that's what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and it's about, okay, at times, I can't take myself too seriously. I've got to get on their level. What I would listen to in the gym 10 years ago at Leicester is nothing what they listen to now. And it's and, and, and you're laughing on the other side of the, of the screen, but actually it's, it's, it's really applicable. It's, it's, it's how you get the small wins with this next younger group in order to make sure that when you put them under pressure, you've got the respect, you've got the, you've got the, the buy-in, because you're not being the, necessarily being their friend, but when they need it, they know they can rely on you. And, 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 and they know that you're, you've got the primary, you've got the progression at the forefront of your mind. If that, again, I'll say it if that makes sense. 
100 percent i i was i was smiling because i'm just thinking are you missing a trick there in an educational piece around your music taste that when they come in the gym that's that's the back catalogue surely like hold on that's no 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 there's been off this whatever it is they're listening to i'm gonna i'm gonna show you so what some proper music is the boys did not know what the backstreet boys were a few years ago Good God. when i started putting on keen or travis or someone didn't even know one of the take that songs okay so we're very like it unless it's drake and a bit of that now then we're all right and i can listen to that from seven in the morning till seven at night and i know i get that when i get home as well but and it is a joking matter but it's it's an easy as a coach it's an easy in to a younger generation and it, and it and it allows us that what it breaks down that barrier of it's a conversation then it's, it, it, get, it allows us to get in and, and I think something that uh, I can waffle but we had uh, Sam Roberts the commentator in last week exactly what Rich said he talks about uh, communication being non-hierarchical so if a player has a give a player the option to have his say because if you remove his opinion in anything they won't talk about anything else now, the way that opinion comes across has to be done in a, in a mature way. But like, and I think something else that he said was he has five, there's, there's five key things when, when, when communicating. It's how you say it, why you say it, who you're saying it to, when you say it, and what, what the content is, but also knowing what not to say at the right time as well. And that ties into... Rich's overcoaching, queuing, constraints approach. And that's coming from a commentator and the way he does his job. There are so many parallels across so many things at the minute that it's scurry that we are also, all our professions are so related. But actually, because we're people and we deal with people, it's, it's, it, it makes sense. It, it's fascinating within that, that the what you say was actually last on that list. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I think we would... And I certainly have as a coach, you would probably plan some questions and, you know, a pregame or a halftime or whatever. You you plan a lot around what you say, but maybe ignore some of those other things, which actually means what you're saying isn't isn't as effective or it's not going to land or, you know, whatever kind of terminology you use. But maybe we just need to pay more attention to those other ones before we actually get to specifically the detail in, in what we're saying. I think that's awesome. I love that. But I think that's communication. It's body language. And like... Rich will have seen players for four years that he knows when they walk in the gym, he's in for a bad day. And he knows, like I do, we pull back on that day. We put our arm around, we make sure we get something, something that makes the player feel like they've done a bit. But we know we're going to get two more sessions this week where we'll get some good returns. And, and it's, it's that kind of side to it. Unless you know what's on the other side. Again, we're in a people business. Communication is about people. It's about understanding what they're showing to you and what they're not showing, which is more important. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on the back of that, I think a massive thing we haven't touched on yet is, you know, I know I mentioned it, just breezing through those key points was personality traits. And like what Kev's saying there for me is knowing those players on a personal level, like you said there, being friendly, but not necessarily friends, but knowing those players can come to you when in a time of need or, and like you said there, Kev, if you need to put an arm around them, you know when that is and, like you said, Phil, when knowing when to say something and when not to say something. Um, I think that's something that from a communication point of view, if you know someone's personality traits and you know, we go back to that model of 
you know, if someone's a red, blue, green, yellow, you're not going to have the same approach with a, with a red that you would with someone who's a green. Um, and it's just seeing those little traits within people. Like you say, if you walk in to, to see someone after three, four years, but you see a certain quality within them that you understand is a personality trait and you've seen it before, you know what they might need that day. Or, you know, even from an SNC point of view, you talk about, if you know, people's injury pathology and things like that, that you can, you see that their, their movement might be different. You know that, like you said, Kev, you might need to pull back on something to get some bigger rewards further down the line in the week or the coming weeks or later on that afternoon. Um, but I think knowing those players on a personal level from a personality point of view is so important to get the most out of them. And, you know, we've a good example is, you know, like you said, from an overload of information, especially at 18s, I think there's this there's this gap, which, you know, in two years of development is not that long, long a period of time, really. Um, you know, we try and overload them with all this information because we've got two, well, for me, there's two things you've either got to get them ready to step into a professional environment or you're trying to get them as close to as possible to give them a shot. And, you know, I think before you know it, you are just, it is information overload. And sometimes you need to just strip it back, make yourself as a coach vulnerable to, and I think the players quite appreciate that because they, they almost, you put yourself on that wavelength and they appreciate that. Then when they need you, they can come and speak to you and they will confide in you. I've found over the years, making yourself vulnerable and knowing players on a personal level, they'll come, they'll speak, especially S and C, they'll, they'll speak to you about stuff you probably don't really want to hear, especially as under 18s level. Um, but it's quite nice from a coaching point of view because you can actually help their progression, their development, you know, longevity-wise because you've, you've got that buy-in. Would you guys talk much around emotional intelligence? Uh, my, my theory is the, the most natural coaches are probably very clued into emotional intelligence, even if they've not studied it. They just have an, probably a more natural affinity to those elements and understanding people and having those relationships. And I would look at a lot of coaches that probably don't have I, my assessment of particularly good emotional intelligence or self-awareness and they're not they're not naturally people person um and they're not not necessarily they could be quite a good oh, I say good they could be a very technical coach but they, they just struggle with those relationships so is that something you guys would see is that something you spent time looking at within those your environments is it something that would be important or, or not I think it's something that we speak about within a coaching group more so just when when a situation arises I think like you said Phil I think you as coaches that's the kind of thing you you do become quite situationally aware and and quite self-aware of especially individuals um or it's it's having that understanding of where they might be at that point of the year and what kind of I suppose using your initiative and not jumping to a conclusion but just having it at the forefront of your mind that that might be some sort of contributing factor um but it's quite an interesting one. And I think it's having heard you say that, I think it's probably something that we could speak to players about a little bit more. Um, I think it's definitely from a coaching point of view, something that we speak about, but maybe sometimes when it's too late, whether it's something, you know, we S and C side pick up or here, then you go to the coaches and, and then you come up with some sort of strategical plan. But it's, um, I think it's definitely something, you know, that, you know, going full circle back to what Kev said at the start of our chat was, you know, whether that would be something that would help players psychologically if they understand, you know, their mental psyche a little bit more from their, their psychological awareness. I I think there's a there's a there's a couple of things of this is that some coaches aren't comfortable in that environment, in that in that domain, uh, and sometimes they're not comfortable in that because of ego. It it, it could make them vulnerable. Uh, I think. 
that there's an I think there's an easy win. And we luckily this week we spoke to a guy called Jack Green, who is 400 meter hurdler, went to two Olympics. Uh, his Rocky Road story is unbelievable, but that that's something else. And if you understand a person's why, not what or how, if you understand a person's why, their emotive and their reasons for doing what they're doing, it tells you a lot about the what the what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. So one thing we've done uh, is we've uh, it, we mainly did it with our we didn't do it this year because it's been really difficult, but I think we will do is why are you here? What why are you here? Like it's we we Rich, we know they want to be rugby players and and and, and that's that. But, but why? And 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 when we dug into the detail behind it, it gave us so much. So uh, we had one player that uh, he's brothers in a wheelchair and he's got a picture of him and his family behind his peg. And that's his reason because he wants to make his family proud and his brother proud. And once you know that, it gives you more information to actually work with him on a personal basis and, and, and how to, when he's having his low days or his bad days, channeling back to why you're here, what's your reasoning. And, 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 and again, it's about, I'm not sure it's emotional intelligence, it's body cues, it's reading how they are and knowing them, like Rich said, over that period of time. If your chirpy guy walks in with a bit of a slump, what's going on? Is it just a bad day or is something going on? And what we found when we did this, like, why task, there was not much rugby. There was not many pictures of big sporting events. There was a lot of meaning. There was, there was people that had lost relatives that had pictures of their relatives there. And, and they were... Now, this why can change through their careers, but at this moment in time, that was the biggest reason why they were there, why they wanted to play and get through the, the process. And, and, and understanding that, one, it's empowering for the player because he shares that with the group and then the group understand what it is. And it's an emotion. It's, it's making them vulnerable. It's, it's, it's generating this level of emotion where, you know what, I'm willing to share what my driver is, what why I'm here. And... I've, we've seen, I've seen lads in tears doing this, the senior academy group. And I've also seen his mates go around, put their arm around him and make sure he's all right in front of everybody else. Now, the dynamics of the group change at that point. The bonds get better. They are individual athletes all playing for a contract, but they're a team as well. And you can't take that away from them. And I think when you're looking at like emotional intelligence, yeah, we'll have lads that are immature and they'll have banter and some can't cope with it and some can and and it's, and it's balancing those individuals and how they cope. But I think underpinning everything around it is, listen, you have a, you have a strong nucleus of a group that self-regulates itself. If, if something happens and you need to nudge a player, listen, X, I need you to have a chat with uh, Y. Session wasn't great today, but he did some good bits. We just need a bit more consistency. You don't need the coach telling the player that they're wrong all the time. Sometimes the biggest messages come from the group and, and, and they will get that. But when everybody understands why people are there and what their motives are, it makes everything so much easier. But it's a point that's missed in a lot of organisations. Do you think there's a way to speed that up slightly? I, I would, This is a conversation I'd have reasonably often, you know, over the years. And people always want a bit of a fast track to how you get to know someone quicker and how you get through that kind of, um, you know, the, the, like, 
the levels of relationship until you get into trust and bonds and and be being willing to be vulnerable and all those types of things and I, I was I, I love doing those types of activities I think they're really powerful but I'm always conscious that people hear that and they're like great well day one we'll, we'll do some of this and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking then it just loses that power because actually you don't know anyone yet. And you, you've got to play the long game with this type of thing would be my experience. I'd be interested in whether you guys think similar or, or whether there are ways of other than just spending more time with people of kind of speeding this up as a process. Uh, Mark, the way I work is or the way I understand it is I don't know how I gain trust. All right. But I definitely know when I've lost it. And I don't I can't tell you how it works. I my my sole focus is the player and getting them better. Whether that makes me trusting trustworthy or not, but I know when I've lost it, and and that's the biggest thing. And I, I think I I I would seriously struggle to put a timeline on any of this and say you can do it in a week, in four weeks, in six weeks. These processes are they they can change overnight. Something can happen at home and a player rings you up and it and that rapport that you've got that you didn't even know you had just strikes a relationship where they they, they need to ring someone so they ring you. Ultimately, and I don't know if Rich will see this, medics, SNC, and nutrition are non-threatening. They don't pick the team. All right. They're not involved in selection. They're not involved in promoting players to the senior squad. You always ask a rugby coach, who should we take up? They don't ask, is he physically ready? They ask, we need this player, who should we take up? And we get the most information out of the most people. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it, listen, I've been entrusted with so much stuff in recent years that I'll take with me for a long time that no one will know. And I've and I've got I respect that players ring me up and 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 have that. And players that have left ring me up and talk to me and, and they ask advice. But the fact is, I can't tell you how I've got it. I can't tell you how it's happened. I've just been me. I have noticed when things have changed and when I haven't uh, I've lost that kind of and you can't get it back. I, I think you've nailed it in your last sentence, but I, I would imagine authenticity is probably absolutely fundamental to that you, you can't trust someone that they don't know and that they don't believe in is being themselves and, and I, I that would be my experience of that that yeah no one's going to trust you if they're not actually sure who you are I think if I'll, I'll, I'll show up in a minute I think if like I I'm quite I'm a, I'm a northerner I'm very straight if you want the, an honest answer you'll come and ask me ask me the question if you don't want an honest answer you won't ask me you'll ask somebody else but I'll always be honest when you've done something good I'll tell you that if you've done something that was bad, I'll tell you that, but I'll also think of ways that you can improve it. But if you don't want to hear the answer, you're asking the wrong person. And I'll consistently be like that with anyone. Yeah, I think two things for me stick out when it comes to exactly what Kev says. You don't know what it is and how it happens, but you know if you've got it right, you know you've got it wrong. But um, two things for me, I think I always try and be individual, so try and get to know players on an individual basis. And um, I'm a big one for like being vulnerable. I think if players realise that you're open to being vulnerable and you're willing to give them the time, I think they start to confide in you. I think there's two examples for me, and like Kev said, over time, it, and like you said as well, Phil, you can't have those big conversations on day one. Um, you know, I think this, well, last year was the first year um, a group of players had got senior contracts who I'd worked with since they first came into the pathway. Um, and the relationship I've got with them is very different to the players who I worked with in my first year, who then got, who I worked with for say 10 months before they went into the senior academy contract. Um, and I think then again, that comes down to the different interactions you have with them, getting to know them on an individual basis. And then, but then being vulnerable at certain points 
when those points arise. Um, a second example, whether I should share it or not, I don't know, but I will do, um, is a senior academy player just at the back end of lockdown. When first lockdown happened, you know, we took a group of players and, um, you know, we put everything into these boys and this one lad was having a bad few days. And, you know, anyway, I, I lost my head and, you know, went about things the way I shouldn't have done. We had a bit of a Barney argument, nothing, nothing major. Anyway, but then that night I thought, right, you know, I rang him up and said, look, look, mate, really sorry. And I made myself completely vulnerable, put my hands up. And, you know, I said, look, if you want to, you know, F and blind down the phone at me, go for it. Let, let's have it out and we'll we'll be better for it the, the other side. And he did exactly the same. He, he you know, and the outcome of that conversation was, you know, so many different things. Like you said, Kev, that people confide in you from an SSC point of view that, they'll just bottle up to coaches or, or to their peers as well. Um, you know, and off the back of that, from me being vulnerable and going, look, I, sh- I you know, I meant what I, what I said, but I shouldn't have gone about it this way, but this is why. And, you know, for him to do the same, you know, we, we were close before, but we're even closer now to a point where, you know, even now that he's, he's left that program and he's, he's back with the seniors, he'll still contact me for stuff. Um, and like I say, it's hard to actually nail down and put your finger on what it is, but it's little things I think, I think it's scenarios like that that make a difference. Then, like you said, Phil, you know, we're in a about trust and why people would listen to you. I think we're in a a privileged position from an academy point of view, working with a with a professional club that players come into the program and almost instantly give you that element of trust, and they go, right, you must know what you're talking about, and they'll listen to you. Which you know, if you haven't got your head screwed on, could be quite a, a dangerous thing. I think when you then step into the senior environment where players are, you know, seasoned pros, they know what they like. Some of them are very process led. Some of them like new, new bits of research and new things, and they're all very different. Um, you know, so it, there is very much that it's, you know, they won't, they won't trust you and listen to what you've got to say. You know, their, their guards a bit more, well, they're, they're just a bit more guarded until you actually break that barrier down and get to know them on an individual level. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, my main point is what you guys were just saying there. It's, it definitely resonates with me and just the difference between those age groups of senior and, a, and an academy and actually that trust level and how you, you try and get through these players. But I completely agree. You don't, you don't. It's hard to nail down what it is, but you definitely know when it's gone. I think there's absolute tons in there. And as you say, yeah, just vulnerability, being yourself. And, and I wonder whether that all stems from self-awareness initially. Can, can you really be yourself if you've not spent any time understanding you and how you operate and what works for you and what doesn't and you know as you say you'd probably have to know when your mood's good and when you're having a bad day and those types of things before you can start making you know kind of correct or or positive assessments of anybody else and and actually maybe you know internally is a good place to start first and, and build from there but as always which is a great thing way more questions than answers so um i'd be disappointed if we were <laughs> answering more questions than we're uh, creating which is awesome um guys do you want to uh, just hit us up with your recommendations i'm conscious of time and um we're getting late into the evening but um what what would you be suggesting for other people to have a look at there's some kind of good stuff that's out there um i'd be both unmuted now we'll jump in <laughs> um i'd probably say I, I spoke about the julian treasure uh ted TED Talks, I'll chuck you the link, uh, Phil, so you can put it in the notes, but I'd say it's, like I say, 20 minutes long, it's not too long, but it's definitely worth a listen, whether you're driving or in the background or everyone's working from home. Um, and then book-wise, we've spoken a lot about communication. There's a book called uh, Crucial Conversations, 
Um, tools for talking when stakes are high. I read that a couple of months ago and there's lots in there from gen just general conversations, whether it's, you know, with partners and family and friends or from a, definitely from a coaching point of view and, you know, like we've spoken about, um, you know, why those situations come around. And then lastly, um, Ross Edgley's The Arts of Resilience, a bit, um, a bit more of a, a lighter, easy read, but there's some really good scientific rationale within there. And what he did was just an unbelievable feat. So I just thoroughly enjoyed it. So I recommend anyone to give that a good go. Awesome. Loads in there. Top man. Thank you very much. Kev, uh, any, any big recommendations? Uh, to be honest, my recommendations are slightly a bit different. One would be go and grab someone for a cup of coffee and have a chat about stuff rather than get on podcasts and stuff like that and, and, and talk to a person rather than potentially listen to something. I've been and I, I've been really lucky that Sam Roberts and Jack Green have, come, have done Zoom to the Academy plays in the last two weeks and I've learned so much from one was a commentator one was a 400 meter athlete, nothing to do with rugby. And I think by anyone that can diversify the knowledge pool from different sports, from different domains, I, I don't think we should be restricted to rugby. And I think that's one thing that I've learned in the last few years is that we can gain, we, we can get more from outside sources than we can necessarily from what we have internally. I mean, like uh, we, we, so Jack's obviously working with, he, he set his own company up called Ollywell. He's, he came in and spoke to us unbelievably, really, really good. But he also was very honest and made himself very vulnerable. He talked about high rise, he talked about his early years. He talked about hitting the hurdle in 2012 at the Olympics and, and, it, and it breaking him and it, it, not, it being in a fall. But then the flip of it was the maturity of the lad's questions to him were unbelievable. And I think, having witnessed a lot of things in, in, in recent weeks, uh, I just think that if you can engage with as many people as possible uh, and just get out there and chat and not necessarily, and, and it's not right now, but when you can sit down with someone and have a coffee, the conversation changes, the dynamics are completely different and you learn more. And again, it's about talking to the person. We, we can all ream off, and this is not, we can all ream off books and we can all ream off different elements, but actually it's what we take from it. If you listen to what Rich has said, whether it was the Winkleman podcast, he's took so much from it and he's applied it to his practice. And that's amazing to see, but too many of us just listen and read and think we're experts and we don't actually try and put it into context. It's great to hear and see people actually applying that, trying and testing it in different contexts and domains. I think that's what the advantage of bringing other people in. Like at the minute, for for us, we're, we're probably going to. I'm going to try and approach Natasha Hunt, come and speak to our pathway players about. Okay, we all know what the lads' pathway is. How's your journey been? Who supported you? Where have you got your opportunities? Bits like that. And, it, and if that hits chord with two or three of them, then and resonates with some of the coaches, then it's worked. And I think I haven't really answered your question, but I think it's it's more who you can engage with and what they'll offer you than potentially what you can read and what you can listen to, because that's only good if you have an, an environment and domain that allows you to express it. If it doesn't, then I'm not going to say it's a waste of time because it's not. It's, it's what you're using it for. I, mean, I, I think that's, it's great advice. And it's in this, certainly in these times, we're limited in some ways, but I, and I've talked about this before, the, the unexpected bonus 
of this podcast is exactly that to diversify to you know football coaches judo they they just come from everywhere yes there's a kind of a rugby element to it but even just this a different angle on the rugby stuff is is phenomenal for me and I, and I I genuinely do forget that people listen to this at the other end of it which sounds really weird but this is just a great conversation I take loads from this if the people listening take stuff from it as well that's a huge bonus but it's it's having as you say just just those opportunities to talk about different things and explore some thoughts which I, th- I think is great advice so yeah absolutely spot on so if, you think you brought, if you think you brought two S&C coaches on and we've talked for five minutes about S&C yeah, absolutely yeah but as you say but there's so much more to it it's easy to list a job title and think that's all people do isn't it but ultimately as we kind of kept coming back to we all deal with people and we all have elements of everyone else's role because it's all interconnected. nothing nothing operates in isolation does it so um maybe we need better job titles i don't know maybe maybe that would start some barriers i don't know if rich will, how rich will see this but if you look at people that are coming into the jobs a lot of people are coming out of programs with minimal experience high academic qualifications and they're actually it is a people business if you can't deliver on the floor then it's all right knowing all the stuff and all the information but you've still got to deal with 15 guys all with different motives all with different hormones raging around the system at that point in time and 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 and, and, and nail your job and we need to we need to understand and study as people as well as having a great underpinning knowledge of our subject yeah, 100%. It's being able to apply in the right ways, isn't it? But to be fair, lads, it suits me that we're not talking about S&C because I'll be kept in the job now. No one will find me out. That's <laughs> why so I don't talk about coaching, mate. I just... <laughs> awesome. Gents, thank you very much. This has been superb. Uh, I'm going to round up the roundup. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to my guests for their time and contributions to a really, really great discussion. Uh, links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like and share. I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.